Welcome to the Manage Self Lead Others podcast. My name is Nina Sunday. And in this episode, my guest from Australia is Lynn Kazali, who's an international keynote speaker and facilitator and award-winning author of six books. And her most recent book is called Ish, The Problem with Our Pursuit for Perfection, The Life-Changing Practice of Good Enough. And you've lectured at Australian universities. Now, how I first came across you, Lynn, was we both spoke at a conference, a virtual conference this time last year that Julia Steele put on. So uh, she put out a book and you were featured prominently in that book. And the other thing is, I was, my book was a finalist in the award that you won. Oh, the uh, Authority <laughs> Indie Expert Award. Did you right. go to Namibia to get the award? No, they ended up. <laughs> Um, can not cancelling, but I think they scaled down. Well, it was event. just before the COVID lockdown, so to even go overseas was a bit, little bit, you know, uh, <laughs> yes, 50, 50. But congratulations on Thank being the winner. And when I looked at the book, I totally understood why you oh, were that standout winner for that award. And what's interesting, ish, is a great title. Mm. And here's the thing. Most people refer to the word ish as an adjective, as a descriptive yes. word. Yes, yes. You are making it a verb, a doing <laughs> word to ish. Yes. Yes. So I'll just start with, so this is a bit of a mystery perhaps for the listeners, but I'll just start yes. with, it's all about whether you are a perfectionist and whether near enough is good enough and what exactly mm. is near enough and that's what ishing is. Is mm. that my understanding? Mm. Yeah. Yes, yes. So, so, yeah, as you rightly say, it's like a suffix at the end of a word where we yeah. can say, oh, 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 I fancy something noodle-ish for dinner or, or what time do you want to meet up or how about six-ish, you know. So we have this uh, flexibility or tolerance, a tolerance for uh, imperfection around some things like time, although some sticklers for time probably wouldn't agree with that. Right. Um but we also have an interest around things that are somewhat, uh, to some extent, that's the meaning of ish, to, to be somewhat or to some extent. And so we've got this whole uh, two, two sides of the coin. We've got the people that say that, you know, it, to be, it has to be perfect and the others that say if it's adequate, move forward because then you get mm. progress. Is that mm. your understanding? Uh, yes, and there are some things that I want a really high tolerance of, uh, uh, not, a, not a high tolerance, but a very high standard. Like I don't go to the dentist and say, hey, just near enough is good enough, thanks. You know, just just do a, yes. a, a rough shot job, don't worry about it. Um, same yes. with engineers, building bridges, food handling, uh, construction. Uh, we want things to be precise and to be as good good as they can possibly be usually to reach some sort of standard uh, what I was looking at was how we can tend to overwork and overcomplicate and rework things where we're trying to make something perfect so it's often around the efforts that we put into a task and we keep working and working and working on it and it becomes quite wasteful and harmful you're absolutely right and I'm I'm mm. thinking it because a lot of the people that um uh, that listen to this podcast might be might be knowledge workers. By that, yes. I mean they, their, yes. their tool is the computer. 
therefore their uh, their their product might be a report, an yeah. email. Um, it could be uh, an analysis of a product uh, result. But I'll give you one example. We oh, going back oh, uh, at least a decade when we put out some training DVDs and put them in yeah. stores. We uh, we got the person as they finished up to do an analysis of the you know profitability of that project and I thought it would take a day and I kept saying oh how's that how's that um report going oh no I'm still doing it I'm still doing it it took five days I should have actually stepped in much sooner because it was more data than I could ever want but she was obviously a high detail person yeah. I actually threw it away because I went I don't even want to wade through this I just want to know what are our efforts was there a return on our energy? That's all. Yes. So okay. I guess understand right. putting purpose with effort is an yes. important part of this. Yes, definitely, because we know from things like the 80-20, the Pareto principle, uh, how that if we can identify that 20% of valuable work, it will you know, deliver for us a massive 80% return. Um, equally, there's... Uh, uh, other laws like, you know, diminishing returns. Again, we know that you can work on something or invest in something, uh, but at a certain point, you're going to start losing uh, effort and uh, the effort you do put in becomes uh, wasteful. So for knowledge workers, this is a big thing. When, when we might hear people say, oh, I worked 60 hours this week. Well, wow, what did you do with those hours? And how many mistakes did you make? Like plenty of us have, have done things like making making errors or working on the wrong documents, you know, as we're tiring into the night, or we make changes on the wrong thing. And these are perfect examples of where that pursuit for what's called maximizing. I want more, it's got to be better, I've got to get more references and more research, or I've got to get more data in the case of your report, when instead we should be going for something called satisficing, where something is satisfactory and it suffices for the job. So oh, satisfying. you're creating a whole new language, Lynn. I oh, love look, it. It wasn't me, I'm sorry. It's uh, 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 Herbert Simon's concept of satisficing, but it's a, a perfect description and it comes together with nicely with some of those other laws of effort and laws of return. That's lovely. Now, if we can go back to really um, a little bit of diag diagnostics, how mm. do you know if you are a perfectionist? Most are self-confessed. I, <laughs> I think there's a bit of a spectrum that there will be people who say, yes, I'm a bit of a perfectionist on some things. So you just need to have a conversation about stacking the dishwasher, for example, about, you know, which way do, does cutlery go and where do the glasses go? So some people have quite clear standards about uh, high standards, they'll say. So sometimes people are uh, self-confessed about particular areas. But we would all probably know someone who's a perfectionist and we know because they, they might um, spend an inordinate amount of time on certain tasks to make sure they're perfect. It could be their appearance. It could be the cleanliness of their home. Uh, again, like you were saying, knowledge workers or anyone gathering, working on something. We see it with students a lot, putting in just incredible amounts of time for assignments. 
studying for exams, like really working themselves into not good places. So we'll see it in behaviour, but we often already know uh, in ourselves that there's something we're a bit of a perfectionist about. So are there some perfectionists, though, that are really in denial and, and <laughs> they won't even, they'll, they'll, they won't be able to defend it even though there um, other people around them are saying, we think you are. Yes, yes. And it's a bit like a different flavours of ice cream. There's not really one whole flavour of perfectionism. So you might say, no, I'm not a perfectionist, but I expect other people to deliver very good quality work. Well, that's a type of perfectionism. Mm. So there were three types identified in uh, uh, Curran and Hill's research, and right. they're all on the increase. That's why perfectionism is a problem. Oh. But the first type of perfectionism is where we hold high standards for ourselves. I will not put up that out there until it's perfect. It won't have my name on it until it's done you know, brilliantly. So that's on the rise, but not as much as the second type of perfectionism, which is this socially prescribed perfectionism where we believe wrongly perhaps we perceive that society expects a higher standard from us and this is the one that's on the increase uh, I think we see it with people starting businesses in new jobs publishers people writing books people putting a blog out oh I can't put it out there yet because it wouldn't be accepted or it's not good enough to meet a particular standard so that's the second type and then finally the third type not on the rise so much, but it has. Uh, it, it is where we put high standards on others. If you're in a team, say the the team leader is a perfectionist, but you know, if you if you're thinking about the disc profile, you've got these high D's direct people. They're interested in results, and they will actually get results. But sometimes mm. a perfectionist manager could actually hold that person back if they don't understand that a team needs to be a variety of personalities. Uh, have you got stories about that from the workplace? Yeah, definitely. There's so much perfectionism in the workplace. And a, a lot of this uh, research into the topic started when I was having some maybe nightmares about one of my earlier bosses who would just cover my uh, letters and reports and things in red pen. Oh. Uh, and I thought, this is not school. You know, this is surely this report or this letter is at some point is going to be good enough by all these changes. So I make the changes, send it back for final approval. Oh, there's a whole raft of more changes and corrections. And so this happens a lot. Any government employees listening, the number of times documents scale up and down the organisation, getting checked off by people, they make changes and then it goes through other people's you know, inboxes and they'll make changes. So frustrating when you're dealing with a range of different types of perfectionists who are uh, trying to get some control around, you know, the language or the words or the way the graphic looks on the page or the size of the Venn diagram or the font size or the colour. You know, there's so much stuff that can be fiddled with um, in in the efforts of a perfectionist uh, uh, trying to kind of wrestle, wrestle with control over something. So Not in a vindictive way either, but just no. this, this natural tendency to want to get control over it. And there's in a sense of standards, but you know what, we're in a world where we need to do more faster, you know, better yes. faster, but not, not more perfect. 
Isn't that right? That's right. That's right. That's yeah. right. In fact, we don't kind of have time to do perfect except for the things that matter. So it's that's right. It's like, yeah. And Medical, we can't even get Yes, yes. <laughs> And safety, you know, you think about in your own organisation or in your own work, what are the things that you should be looking after? You know, we often talk about self-care and looking after ourselves. That's the stuff to get right. Mm. You know, make sure you're fed and watered and nourished and slept uh, so that you're able to do the best that you can do versus pushing on through long, long hours of work trying to get better and better and better and the results actually show the reverse. You know, there's a there's a saying that they they use in Silicon Valley, uh, where you know it's all about innovation and getting getting mm. you know software beta software out there. It's mm. building the plane while flying the plane. Mm. Yeah, and definitely. I've said that to some people, and they kind of look at me in horror, like, "Well, I suppose the image is rather graphic. <laughs> you don't want to be in a plane that's not finished." But it's just designed to say, "Listen." Don't stop to finish stuff. Just move it forward. Where they also um, some of the other mantras around that technology and software area is stop starting, start finishing. So we we can often have lots of things on the go at once, and we're we're moving ahead a little bit in each of them, yes. uh, trying to make all of them perfect, and we're not actually landing anything. You know, nothing. Well, that doesn't sound like a good thing. Working. No, no. and you wouldn't want to be doing that all on the same day because otherwise it's some version of multitasking and that's exactly that's right. what they say you shouldn't that's do. That's right. You've got to focus really, really at bad. least, you know, in time yeah. blocks at least. So yeah, yes. There's a couple of things you talk about in your book, Lynn, that uh, it's like types of thinking. There's default thinking and mm-hmm. the other one, which is habitual thinking. Well, there's a name mm-hmm. for that? Directive. Directive, yes. Tell us about that. Yeah, or default default thinking is the stuff that we do default to, that's some of that habitual stuff, Um, that we can have these patterns quite well wired into what we do. Uh, So that's where we might not realise that we're doing something that's not a a better way, you know, that there is a better way. Um, So part of uh, working with ish is getting people to have a go at it, is to say, you know, and I'm working with various clients will say, well, let's know if you're writing a blog. And they say, no, it's not finished yet. But I said, let's let's press publish anyway. And then we'll come, we'll cycle back around to it and make some changes to it later. Oh, I can't do that. I can't do that. That's not how I work. You know, that's oh. not the way I work. And go, here's your default network, you know, your usual way of solving things. So instead we say go with more of a directive approach with your brain and say, hey, all I'm doing is putting this first version out there. It's it's not going to rock the world. It's okay. I'm safe and I'm going to put it out there and then I will make some changes to it. And sometimes just that, that short space of time to take control of your mind is enough to attempt more of a good enough approach and move away from perfectionism. And it sounds to me, Lynn, like when people say to themselves, that's not how I work, it's kind of not, the language is kind of fairly fixed. They could have say, well, I haven't, I haven't ever worked like that before. Or, you know, that's yes. kind of more open, more uh, forward thinking, more growth yes. oriented. So do you find, that's right. and people talk about fixed and growth mindset, do you think mm. there's mm. an element of that? Definitely. 
definitely particularly if you feel like yeah I'm doing all right I'm doing all right with my perfectionism I, I have high standards to adhere to uh, everything's okay but if we have a look further you know if we have a bit more of a dig into that topic we might find actually we're exhausted we're not sleeping well there's a bunch of things that are undone on our to-do list and uh, and I believe one of the, and one of the quickest ways to get a few more things done is to launch them you know is to get them is to say that's good enough no one's really going to notice I'm the one that's noticing, but most people don't notice. And this is called the spotlight effect, right. where that bias, where we think that people are paying more attention to us than they actually are. And yep. I tell you, when I learned about that one, my world changed. I, I thought I've been worrying so much about all of these things. And now I know the spotlight effect is in play. Everybody else is worrying about their stuff. They're not going to notice my stuff as much. So, yeah, I'm happy to say, yes, my books have errors in them. Yes, there are mistakes here, there and everywhere. But you know what? It's out there. I'm moving it forward. Exactly. I'm iterating. You've got six books published. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm impressed. That's really incredible. That's Thank great. You. And you've got a new one coming up. It's called, let me just see the title, R. Uh, it's about uh to do with the brain and neuroscience and not overthinking. Tell us about your new book. Yes, it's called Ah. You know that <laughs> Talk like ah. a pirate. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> we have that sense of being overwhelmed. So it's uh, right. where I say we've got too much information, not enough brain. And so right. it's looking at th three aspects of overwhelm. The first is the emotional overwhelm we experience when too much is going on. Uh, the second aspect is when we have too much workload going on and how to redesign our work. And the third aspect is in regards to information, when we have information overload. So what I'm doing is bringing together those three aspects. How do we kind of redefine overwhelm? How do we redesign our work? And how can we redirect our attention when we are, you know, distracted by so many of the things that we can be distracted by? That that book is sorely needed and yes. i'll give you um my my um angle on it i was just actually just reading today uh an article about you know the sedentary effect and people are sitting for too long right and right. i i've just dis i discovered this years ago and so i i make sure i get up and have micro breaks frequently because i'm yes. getting the blood pump pumping which Good. sends glucose and oxygen to my brain exactly. but I but I find that people that go oh I've got too much to do uh, that they, they're, they're suffering this overwhelm I might say how long have you been sitting at this desk without a break and they might say oh about two hours I say that's the problem yeah that is Your brain can't think when <laughs> no when you've been sitting for two hours because you've actually no. drained all the energy and the light that's from right. the brain that's right you need to that's get right. get moving so, yeah, so uh, a few things, a few different things kick in there. We get over, our sponge gets full with information and we can't process anymore. So it's, yeah. it's called cognitive overload. And uh, it's like how we feel Zoom fatigue at the end of the day, back-to-back -back meetings. It's because we're not emptying our truck. So says Seth Godin, he calls that you can't uh, load up a truck with more gravel if your brain's already full, you know, if your truck's already full. Absolutely. So 
a great metaphor of at, at what points during the day are you unloading your truck so you can deal with with the next onslaught and it's so you can remember it because having studied True. a bit of neuroscience myself and I've done a book on how to study for students. I recommend right, that right. after 50 minutes, after inputting information, they actually go and spend 10 minutes maybe shooting a basketball through a hoop yes. or ride yes. a bicycle or do something exactly. physical, but non-informational. Mm. Non so their yes, brain can actually take that information and store it somewhere and they're ready mm. for the next mm. load of new information. And it's the same Absolutely. at work. If managers Absolutely. are... Yeah sharing information that they want people to remember and action on well they need time between meetings to to, to process it for the brain to actually yeah. the next yeah. so probably would you agree that most meetings should at least be no more than 45 minutes and maybe aim for 30 so and then you've got that extra time in between the yeah. hour or, uh, or I'd go further and, and recommend 25-minute uh, meetings. And my colleague Donna McGeorge wrote a fantastic book called The 25-Minute Meeting. Wow. Uh, so uh, that follows the Pomodoro principle that says that 25 minutes is that kind of optimum uh, performance time. And uh, so she suggests that organisations change their default meetings from probably an hour like every default meeting in your calendar is probably set to an hour she says change it to you know straight away just change it to 30 minutes and uh, her book guides you through how to have those you know really efficient meetings so I totally agree with with the pomodoro technique and that's that's how I've written books people go oh how do you write so many books pomodoro technique focus so pressure and then release the pressure yes. pressure and then release the pressure that's right and pomodoro if people are wondering it's, it's italian for tomato and it's based on the fact that the person that coined it used to have a tomato red tomato shaped timer yes, <laughs> and it would only go for 25 minutes yes. <laughs> so, and i recommend it too because i've used it as well mm. from time to time mm. so especially yeah. for uh tasks i don't really feel like doing I'll just oh, do 25 minutes of it. It's over before you know. Yeah, yeah it's done. Yes, yes. Sometimes so, I'll do even less for tasks I don't like. <laughs> right. Well, five minutes yeah. I'll do. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Well, thank you, Lynn, for sharing your wisdom. Links to the books will be on the show notes. And truly enlightening to realise that sometimes we are our own worst enemy. Yes. <laughs> and that we can yes. learn to do things faster, quicker and easier. Ish. Oh, thanks for showing. Don't worry. I had to, I have to read my book often, right? So we're recovering perfection. I'm a recovering perfectionist. Recovering. Recovering. I confess up. All right. Thanks so much. So <laughs> thank you, Nina. Thanks, Lynn. Well, we've been speaking with Lynn Kazali, and this is Manage Self Lead Others podcast with Nina Sunday. Subscribe, listen to our other episodes, and it's great talking with Lynn today. Thanks so much, Lynn. Thank you. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.